I was thinking about this weekend, and I was thinking about the scripture that we're looking at this morning that Alona read a few moments ago. And it got me thinking of how much I love New England, and coming from the Midwest, how things look different when you go from North Dakota, where they tell me there wasn't even a tree when the Dakota Territory was settled, and it's all big, wide-open prairies. Somebody talked to me recently and said they always imagined my home state to have mountains and trees, and I said, no, you couldn't be further from the truth. It's all just big, open prairie. And the largest lake that I used to attend or go to when I was a child was a man-made lake. They did the garrison diversion where they put up a dam and they created Lake Sakakawea, which was um, a large lake that, although it was man-made, it was still one that we would boat on or go canoeing on or people would take vacations to. And that's so different here in New England. The topography especially is different. And one of the things that you see when you come from the Midwest out here to, to New England is the ocean and how different the ocean is from anything that you experience in the Midwest. And so Regina and I love to go walking downtown Plymouth, and I particularly like looking at the harbor, and that's always been something that although I'm not an ocean person and I'm not a boat person, I've always loved looking at harbors. And I remember when we first came out here and first visited Plymouth, just stopping down, going and visiting the rock, and looking over the harbor. And looking at all those boats that are just kind of sitting there. And again, if you don't know, if, if nobody had educated me, because again, I didn't grow up with boats and I didn't grow up with an ocean, but obviously I know why they're able to do that. But if you look at it, you'd think, why aren't those boats just banging into each other or going all over the place? And of course, we know what the answer is. Why don't they crash into each other? Because they are all grounded. These are tied to a dock, or they have, more importantly, like anchors that hold the, the boat in place. So a boat can move, but it stays steady, and it keeps them from banging into each other. And that got me thinking about our world, on how we all just seem to be banging into each other. And we don't seem to be moored. We don't seem to be anchored. And so we look at our society and we say, is it an interesting, all of the turmoil and pain and things that we have? And it makes me wonder, is it because we literally are not anchored? And as Christians, I want to make a very simple point this morning that I hope that we all hear, that as Christians, we must be, I don't use that word often, but I'm going to use it this morning, we must be anchored by God and his word. Hear that? We must be anchored by God and his word. When we allow ourselves to just go all over the place and we don't have anything that keeps us anchored, when we don't have that firm foundation, it'd be like taking all the anchors at Plymouth Harbor and just letting those boats go wherever they would. And maybe for a few minutes it might be okay, but any kind of wind or any kind of disturbance comes along and you know exactly what's going to take place. And this isn't just any weekend. This is a weekend in which we are preparing our hearts and our minds as we pray for a peaceful transition in our country. And it's also the weekend in which we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and, and the celebration of him as a leader in our country. But you know, he didn't get his name by accident. His name came about 400 and some years earlier. His name actually came from another Martin Luther, the great 16th century Christian who brought about the Protestant Reformation. And there was a day in Martin Luther's life 
in which he was brought in before a big synod, a big government inquiry, in which he was absolutely convinced because he had put a 95 thesis up on Wittenberg door at the church and told the things that had troubled him about what was taking place within the church of the day, that he was convinced and everybody else was convinced that he was going to be executed. Because if he wouldn't change and he wouldn't recant and, and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have stood on my convictions, that they were going to execute him. So now, imagine yourself being him. You're standing before, and it's called the Diet of Worms. That was what they called this big synod. So they have all of these government officials, and in is Martin Luther, and they're just hoping that he can say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. The church can do whatever it wants to do. We don't have to be faithful to Scripture. We don't have to put our trust first and foremost in God. No, there's other things that, that we can trust in, and he absolutely refuses to do that. He will not do that because he is anchored in his life and he knows who he believes and he knows the scriptures that he trusts. And so he says famously before that council, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason because my conscience is captive to the word of God, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe, so help me God Amen. And with those words, Martin Luther had inner peace. He still didn't know what was going to happen to him. He was still convinced when he uttered those words, the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are convinced of in our scripture, that he's probably going to die, but he says, I don't care. I'm anchored by God and God's word, and nobody's going to shake me from that. That's the anchor of my life. 450 years later, comes an African-American preacher, one of the greatest preachers in American history, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He's preaching his last sermon, the last time he's going to speak in public. He doesn't know it at the time because the next day he's going to be assassinated. And he's in Memphis, and thousands of people hear that he's there, and so they just gather, and they have this impromptu time together, and he gets up and he gives a message. And in that message, he talks about taking a spiritual voyage over the centuries. And he said, I would love to just be able to take a voyage and look at all these things. And he starts from Pharaoh and the time in, in which Moses leads the children of Israel out of captivity. And in that sermon, he says these words. He said, then I would go by the way of the man for whom I am named. Martin Luther, who we just talked about. And I would watch Martin Luther as he tacked his 95 thesis on the door at the church in Wittenberg. Martin Luther King Jr. continues, he says, we've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. But whenever they got together, something happens. That's the beginning of getting out of slavery. And he utters these words. Now let us maintain unity. Some will hear Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s call for change and for unity. But let's not miss how God and his word anchored him. Do you notice the illustration that he's using? 
is one out of Scripture. In fact, in his final message, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has all these people brought together, and he just gets up, and he spontaneously gets to give this message. He has three references to Scripture, including the majority of the message is about the story of the Good Samaritan. His good friend, Andrew Young, said of Martin Luther King Jr., that he was first and foremost biblical in his proclamation of civil rights. Let's never forget that. He didn't first and foremost proclaim civil rights. He first and foremost proclaimed his understanding of how the scripture calls us to civil rights. Andrew Young said, it's no wonder that in his last message, he had the same message of scripture. I quote Andrew Young, like anybody, Dr. King said, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. As Andrew Young, his friend, said, that was his conviction because, and I quote Andrew Young, Martin almost never closed a speech without quoting either scripture from Jeremiah, Isaiah, or Amos. God in his word anchored Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to the point of where, as he said, I'd love to live a long life. The night before he's going to be assassinated, I'd like to live a long life and longevity has its place. But I'm not so much concerned about that. I just want to do God's will. Those are people who are anchored in their faith. Whether we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr., whether we're talking about Martin Luther, or whether we're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why we say the more things change, the more they stay the same. You see, our world needs Christ-centered Christians who can stand on God's word, who are anchored by our faith in God, and we're not just tossed here and there by the things that happen in our society or the things that happen in our personal lives. And in our lives, we need to know that we can stand on God and his word because when we stand on God and his word, we're not thrown here and there. We're not a mess. We're not all upset by the things that happen. In fact, we can take a longer view and say, you know, God's word promises me there's going to be sin, there's going to be evil, there's going to be problems in this world. I need to be anchored by God so that I'm standing on the right thing and I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. Because you see, our society will never be our answer. And I know a lot of Christians wish it was different. And I'm getting up there in my age. And if I've seen anything that's disappointed me in the church, it's how often Christians in the church think that society is going to be our answer. That we think somehow that our secular world is just going to get it all right and God's kingdom is is going to come because of stuff out there that happens in society and we forget about the fact that society is not going to get it right. That's why we need to trust in God and his word and that's why we need to be anchored in our faith. Our text says that. Verses 9 through 11. O king, live forever. O king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. 
You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had made a decree. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted his gods to be worshipped. He wanted people, including people of faith, to set aside their faith and not care about their faith and not care about God and think that rather than trusting in God, that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be around forever. And so they needed to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And in fact, the, the secular world, the world of that day said, and if you don't, guess what? You're going to get thrown into a furnace. Others are constantly vying for us to worship them. Trust me, in Martin Luther's day, had the same thing. That's why he gets called before the council. Bow down before us. Do what we tell you to do, and you're going to be okay. Don't trust us, and you're going to lose your life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., same thing. Talk about pressure. Let's go take a nice job working at a university and making some money and writing some books. Set aside your convictions. Come on, Martin. You're going to have a long life. What you doing, man? Why, why are you listening to all of that stuff and thinking that just because your convictions are so strong that you should live according to them? The temptation's there for every one of us. Not only those who are the heroes of the faith, but us who are just common, everyday individuals. I was thinking back to the day that I gave my life to Christ. I was a freshman at Moorhead State University. As a kid who grew up in a little town in North Dakota and now is at the big state university in Fargo-Moorhead. Now, if you live in Boston, Fargo-Moorhead's not a big thing, but if you live in North Dakota, that's a big thing. About 100,000 people live there, a whole lot more than the 492 people who lived in our town. They used to say the town I grew up in doubled in size when the school was in session because all the farm kids would come in. And now I'm a freshman in college and I got invited to a party. I didn't just get invited to a party. I got invited to the in party. Why, at that party, there was a future NFL draft choice who attended. In fact, he became a famous national TV anchor. Passed away a few years ago. But he was at that party because I was at the in party. And I remember sitting at that party looking around going, are you kidding me? This is what I'm going to base my life on? Yeah, all the in people were there. It was right after the student council had taken their election and the president of the university even stopped by. And I said, you've got to be kidding. There's got to be more to life than this. And it was that day that I walked out that night and I gave my life to Christ because I said, you know what? I want to trust in Jesus because that one's going to be the anchor of my life. And it was that night I started reading the scripture. Oh, King, live forever. You may make a decree that we should all bow down and worship you, or the in crowd, or those who are powerful, or those who have the newest answer, but we know that all that's going to do is just send us like boats in Plymouth Harbor banging into each other, because there's just going to be another one, and another one, and another idea, and a new idea, and this one, and that one, and our anchor's got to be in God and his word. Because our society is never going to be the answer. However, we can have an anchor. We can stand for truth. We can stand for justice. We can stand for reconciliation. We can stand for righteousness. We can stand for the fact that we are all sinners. We need a savior. And now we need to get about doing the work that God calls us to do when we understand that when we are anchored by God and his word, others are going to notice. When we live the right way, it gets noticed by others. 
That's why I love that in our story that we read this morning, beginning in verse 13, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to these guys and he says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? The very king of the land, King Nebuchadnezzar, had noticed that he told everybody that they had to think a certain way, and some people didn't think that way, because you see, when we stand on our convictions, others notice it. They didn't go to the king and say they disagreed with him. All they did is lived according to the anchor in their life. Imagine the conversation they must have had with their family and friends. Can't you just see the, the families and the people who love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, come on, guys. It's not that big a deal. Just compromise. Just bow down. If you would just bow down to that image, we can celebrate your next birthday. But if you don't, you're going to die. But these are men who know their convictions, and they know God, and they have a personal relationship with their God. I can just hear them saying, we won't follow the king's degree. We're telling you how to live your lives. You've you, you got to live according to your own convictions. You do what you want, they would say. But for us, we want it to be known that we would rather be thrown into a furnace than deny the anchor of our lives. Are we willing to say that, folks? Are we willing to stand on our convictions? Not to be coercing everybody else and telling everybody else how to live, but standing on our own convictions? Notice the difference between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... And I will argue Martin Luther King Jr. And I will argue Martin Luther from today's news and social media. Where people don't stand on their own convictions. They just want to tell everybody else how to live. They just want to shame and guilt everybody else. I think we have a name for it. We call it trolling. I want to troll everybody else and tell everybody else what to do. When God calls us to stand and to stand and to be anchored, and to trust God. We're pretty fortunate here at Faith Community Church because we've got a guy named Jim. He's on our elder team who marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I've had a lot of conversations with Jim Hardiman. And one of the things I've always noticed is he's never told me that anybody told him to march. They just told him how to march. And there's a difference. Nobody said, you need to do this. That was his own conviction to do. And all Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said is, okay, now that you're marching, let me tell you how to march. And he can have these conversations about how you look at the person in front of you. You don't react to people who are yelling and screaming and throwing stuff at you. They can turn a fire hose on you and you just keep going forward and you just keep looking at the person in front of you. Why is that important? Because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. learned nonviolence because he knew Jesus. And he studied the words of Jesus, and he studied the Sermon on the Mount, and he knew that he wasn't going to make a difference in this world if he told everybody else what to do. He just needed to do the right thing himself. And so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made a decision to march, and lo and behold, just like we learn in our scriptures, when we're anchored by God and his word, others notice. King Nebuchadnezzar notices with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a nation noticed when a man started to march. And so guys like Jim Hardiman start showing up. Not because they're told to march, but then they're told if you're going to march, how to march. I pray for a congregation that knows Jesus and stands on his word. 
I pray for that. Not for a congregation that trolls everybody else if they disagree with us and shames people if they have a different conviction, but says, listen, we trust God, and we know that God is our anchor, and we know that we're going to get through everything, and we know that God's in control, and we don't really care about all the stuff that everybody else is always getting devices over because we're not going to take the divisive side. We're going to take trusting in Christ because we know that if we live that way, others will notice, and they're going to follow, and they're going to start living different because that's what happened. When people of faith stand and are anchored by their faith and are anchored by God and are anchored by God's word. That's why we deal with racial reconciliation at Faith Community Church with a program we call Be the Bridge because it's a biblical Christ-centered program that shows us how as Christians to be bridge builders. Doesn't tell us how to keep a fight going doesn't even necessarily tell us how to convince others of anything. It tells us how to live according to our convictions and learn to be transformed to be people who work for reconciliation in all of our relationships. The lesson of history. The lesson that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., on the night before he's assassinated, and he said, I wish I could go through all of human history and just see people who are anchored by God and his word, right back to Egypt, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to the man I'm named after. And the same is true for us today. Are you anchored by God and his word? Are you living the way and trusting that God will get us through no matter what you're facing, no matter what's happening in your life, not worrying that you have to convince anybody else of anything because when you live by faith, other people will notice. It won't just be King Nebuchadnezzar. It will be your family, your friends, your co-workers, and others will start saying, wow, those people of faith live differently. And I want to learn how they have learned to trust God. Because you know, no one can do our thinking for us. We think that we can convince other people. They can't convince us. We can't just turn around and tell other people how to think. That's, again, part of what our story is about. King Nebuchadnezzar wants these guys to think a certain way, and he is absolutely furious that they will not think the way he wants them to think, and there's nothing he can do about it. He can kill them, but he can't change your thinking. He can say, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I can throw you into a furnace, but he can't get them to bow down. And he can never get them to bow down. And no one can get you and me to change. If our conviction is in God, and we trust God, and we live by faith, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Somebody asked me recently, aren't you concerned that our secular society is going to kill the church? I said, no. No. We do a good enough job killing the church ourselves when we aren't faithful. That's what I get concerned about. Where does the church grow today? The church grows faster in mainland China than anywhere else. And the Chinese government is a communist government that wants to shut it down, and they're frustrated. They don't know what to do because you can't convince anybody of anything. You cannot, as a government, make people change their thinking. And if somebody comes to faith in Christ and reads the Bible, you can't stop them from trusting in Christ and opening their hearts to the Scripture. The same is true for us. Don't worry that somebody's going to change your thinking. Trust God and let God affect your thinking. That's why verse 16, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, and they say to him, O King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to even answer to you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And of course they say, and we're convinced he will deliver us. And then what may be my favorite verse verse of the Bible? But if it not be, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. God can save us. Totally convinced God can save me. But you know what? Even if he doesn't save me, it's okay. If I'm going to die death in the fiery furnace, I'm going to die death in the fiery furnace. You're still not going to get me to move away from God who I trust in and the scriptures that anchor my life and nobody can change that because God is sovereign and ultimately I have to answer to God. Many people tell us in our society to be afraid. That's your choice. Do you want to be afraid? You can listen to them. Many people in our society tell us to be upset. That's your choice. Do you want to be upset? You can be upset. Others tell us to hate those who are the other, who are different from us. If they disagree or they look different or they act different, you should hate them. You shouldn't, shouldn't get along with them. The list can go on and on. Society can give you any kinds of things and your friends and anybody else can tell you. God's word tells us to have faith. God's word tells us to pray and God's word tells us to love. Is that the choice we're going to make? Because if we're anchored by God and his word, that's how we're going to live, folks. We're going to live by faith, by prayer, and by love. And we're going to stand firm on our convictions, and we're going to care for people. And even Jesus, when they're crucifying him on the cross, and they're spitting at him, and they're yelling at him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They couldn't change his thinking, and they can't change ours. Our conviction is to trust God and to be anchored. Otherwise, we might as well just all go down to Plymouth Harbor and take up all the anchors and watch the boats bang into each other because that's how we're going to live our lives, folk. We're just going to bang into each other and wonder how come it's happening like that. But when we choose to live differently, when we choose to be anchored and moored and steady and love and forgive and do the things that Jesus tells us to do and work for reconciliation and work for peace and work for justice and work for a changed world because first and foremost, we love and we forgive and we care. We're anchored. And it doesn't matter what storm comes. How many times in the Gospels do we hear about the storm that arises? And everybody's all upset. And all Jesus says is, don't you have faith? Storms of life are going to rage, folks. They're not going to be solved this week. They're not going to be solved next year. And they're not going to be solved 50 years from now. And frankly, as I learned from my father many years ago, he said, you know, Stan, they're going to tell you this person who's elected is going to destroy your country. And they're going to tell you that this person who's elected is going to be the savior and save your country. He said, don't believe it. Trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in God. Man, am I glad my dad had that conversation. Because that's where our faith is. That's what anchors us. We believe God. We trust in his word. And we know that God will get us through everything. 
We read the scripture this morning out of Eugene Peterson's The Message. And I've been using it a little bit more, not because it's my favorite translation or anything like that, but because the reason that Eugene Peterson wrote The Message. He realized that his congregation didn't know scripture very well, and every time he tried to get them to read it, they said they couldn't understand it. So he took the book of Galatians, and he wrote it out in plain English in a way that everybody could understand it, and he handed it around, and people started reading, and they go, I finally understand scripture. And then he did Romans, and then he did a few more, and one day some people started sharing what he had done with some others, and other people started asking him to write it for them. And so then he started making copies of it, and started handing it around, and people started understanding the scripture. Because once they understood it, then they could live according to it. And then a book company found out about it, and they asked him to do the whole Bible. And so Eugene Peterson started doing all of Scripture, just writing it in common language so people could understand it. Because if we're going to be anchored by God in his word, we need to hear and understand God in his word. And so whatever manner in your life or my life that we can understand it, that's what matters. Because that's what anchors us. Yes, we look at our world We look at a world that looks a lot of times like a bunch of boats out in the harbor banging into each other, and we were reminded, as we were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that our society will never be our answer. It wasn't for them, and it never will be. And we discover that when we, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are anchored by God and his word, that others are going to notice, and of course we know that no one can do our thinking for us, that we're going to trust in God. But then there's one last thing I want us to hear. One last thing that we notice in our scripture. That when we are anchored by God and his word, Jesus is always with us. No matter what, your Savior is with you 24-7. Which is why our text ends with these words, and King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up. And he looked at the furnace after he threw the guys in. And he said, didn't we cast three men bound into this fire? And they answered him, and they said, yes, it's true, O king. And he answered, and he said, but I see four men, and one walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. Three were thrown in, and the king saw four. Same is true in our life. Trust in God and his word. And wherever you go, you're never alone. I can be riding in the car and people can drive down the street and they can go, there goes Pastor Stan driving alone. Not true. Jesus is with me. I can be sitting in the hospital and I can be as sick as I can be and people may come into my hospital room and they may say, man, Pastor Stan is sick. He's there all by himself. Not true. Jesus is with me. You can go to work and you can be frustrated And you can be, how can life be so difficult? And you pause and you pray and you remember that you are a Christian first and foremost and you are never alone. Jesus is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be anchored by our faith in you and a trust in your word. Help us to realize that we can live a different way, that our life is not controlled by chaos around us, but by the God who is sovereign and in control of the universe. Help us to know that no matter what we see, that we can have the same faith that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had that allowed him to do stuff that we cannot imagine. They turned fire hoses and dogs on him, and he wasn't dissuaded because he was anchored. And he just continued to walk.
And in his vision of looking over all of society, he knew the reason why it had happened from the beginning of time, because when he saw people who were true to their convictions and knew that they trusted in you, that nothing could dissuade, and therefore we, as he called, can be unified. Unified in our love for you and our love for one another and our decision that we will not be boats tossed around the harbor or boats that are capsized in any storm, but rather we will live for you today and every day. Touch our hearts and help us know that you are God and Jesus is always with us no matter what. In his name we pray.